All right, welcome back to episode 10 of FR Locked, or episode it, it, 11. Yeah. It's, it's 11. It's 11 recorded episodes, but it's the 10th one on air because we pulled the Wheel Every Weekend one as a poor audio. Yeah. yeah. And this so. is obviously not our usual date. You know, obviously, Steve and I do have lives and do other things than just record this podcast. So yep. stuff like this might happen. So it just Absolutely. didn't work out to record it. On Tuesday, like normal, um, and instead of, you know, trying to stress ourselves out and get it recorded, we just picked the day that we knew we were both not busy and... Uh, not as busy. Not as busy and get it recorded. Yeah, you know what's so been you cool, do- though, is why I have not been able to record this week until today is basically every day this week, except for Monday, I've been drinking beers on my lunch breaks. Nice. It's really cool. Yeah. So like Monday, oh, not Monday, Tuesday, I had lunch with a uh, financial advisor buddy that he wanted to sit down and get to know each other a little bit more and talk business and stuff like that. So we got lunch, had a few IPAs, was really good. And then the day, then Wednesday, went to a brewery for uh, our realtor affiliate appreciation lunch for the end of the year. And I had like three IPAs there. So that was pretty cool. And then yesterday I went and had lunch with one of, uh, one of the agents that I know and had lunch and had a couple beers with him. And then another buddy that I'm going to be going to lunch today with, we're going to go get more beers. So it's going to be nice. It's a good All week. Right. Yeah. That's so I had a good a reason. Good, time. good reason to not that, record. No, that's good. I mean, if I had to choose between recording this podcast and drinking beer, I know which one I would choose. So yeah, we could drink beer and record. I did that when we, we did our wheel every weekend. Yeah, so did I. So I guess we have done that. But except I don't, usually don't take beers to work with me. I usually just go out to drink beers. Yep, and I am sitting in my apartment with no pants on again. So <sighs> and I'm still wearing khakis. Yep, I do have a blanket because it's cold as fuck. Um, as I forgot to turn the heater on, but it's all right. Wouldn't worry about nice. it too much. Uh, so did you do anything the last week since we recorded last? Um, nothing really special. Uh, I'm, I think we talked about it on at least one of the episodes where my hood fell off, my hood hinges yes. broke, and the hood one of the yep. hood pins broke. So I Again. finally went went to the junkyard last Saturday and picked up a new taillight and new hood hinges. Um, so Saturday while it was raining, I put on the taillight and all was good. And then Sunday night I started cutting things apart and put on some hood hinges. And so initially what the problem was is the hood hinges were mounted to the cab like they are. And the, because I did the engine cage and the engine cage is obviously tied into the chassis, the hood pins were part of the chassis so that when the body would flex, it was causing problems. And that's why I had all these issues. And I knew better, but I figured I would be able to work around it. I'm stupid. I didn't do what I knew better. I feel like Ian. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so what I did is I cut out the rest of like the firewall where like the you know fender support things are. I cut those back pretty much as far as they go. And then I took some one inch 120 wall DOM tubing and made some tubes with some tabs and mounted the hinges off of those and then made those tubes with some other tubes go down to the the engine cage. So that way those are completely mounted to the chassis. They're where they're supposed to be right next to the body with just enough clearance, I'm hoping. 
That way the body, if it, if it does make contact with the hood hinges, it just flexes a little bit at worst. So I think I'll be great. Right. Cause I left enough of like, a I don't know, distance from the mounts of the like tube that the hinges are mounted off of. That way it gives a yep. little bit of flexibility. So that way it's not super, super rigid. So we'll see. I drove around the block and hit some speed bumps down the street that there's some speed bumps and I hit those and wanted to see how things go and everything worked great. So good enough. Sweet. We'll see. So I think I'm good. I still need to get a hood pin though. I, Cause one of them sheared and I never bought some more. So uh, I need to get that done. So you're only so like half that. race car right now. Half race car. Yeah. Half race car. So yeah. So, yeah. That's all I got so far. Nothing special for that. Nothing else is broken that I know of except for my front shocks. They're shot. They're like, there's no more dampening left. I used all the dampening that came with it. Used it all out of it? I used it all. <laughs> it's Can you refill dampening? <laughs> <laughs> Not on Bilstein 5100s. Those ones don't Can you go that. to like, go to O'Reilly's and be like, I need some dampening. <laughs> Can I get some dampening fluid and dampening. air, please? Dampening yeah. gas and air fluid. Yeah, that would be... Some of that com- compressed air. Some blinker nitrogen. fluid. Muffler bearings. <laughs> I mean, there uh, is things that you could buy for dampening, but yeah, we're definitely. It's true. Making up. They stuff. just sell you a big old fucking bump stop. Like, yeah, here you go. <laughs> yeah, the only things that are saving me are my duro bumps. If it wasn't for yeah. those, I'd be just smashing everything. So, like the last two trips out to the desert, I've kind of been miserable going over the bumps. Before, I was able to kind of like, kind of smash through shit, and it was okay. Nowadays, oh, it's it's miserable. And I think my rear driver side shock is also not doing so hot. So I think I may have like a leak of some sort in the reservoir. Maybe I'm losing mm-hmm. some air or something. It just doesn't feel right. So I need to pull it apart and see what's going on. Maybe the seal's bad. I don't know. Maybe my little dividing spacer, whatever it is in the reservoir, maybe that's not in the right spot and maybe it's all fucked up. I don't know. I'll have to pull it apart and see. Well, that sounds uh, just fun. But yeah, at least you know when uh, the checks start hitting for the podcast that you can start buying. Oh. Good uh, call. Yeah, that's forgot about those checks. Yeah, they should be pretty decent checks, right? I can just buy a bunch of new shocks and yeah. Since I figured like, like you didn't get the first one and the second one, and we're on like episode eleven. That I'll just wait and I'll just send it all as one big check, and uh, cool. It'll be like good. a Christmas should, bonus. Yeah, I mean, yeah, and it should okay. be good. It should be like, you know, a few dollars. So <laughs> <laughs> that'd be nice. If I could buy a beer off of this, I'd be happy. That would be pretty cool. Be pretty yeah. cool. It does but have I like. I don't fucking, think we're quite there yet. I don't know like, if there's a way to make money without ads. So, um. Yeah, and like we said, not like something we're really trying to do to make money, but uh, no, it's just for fun, for fun, yeah. hanging out with friends, bullshitting, talking shit. Right. That's the point of it. I have a job. I, that's what makes me money. I have had a few people ask if I can put it on YouTube because they can't access stuff like uh like podcast apps when they're at work, but they can access YouTube and you why, can't. Why, why can't I, they not access podcast apps? I don't know. I figured that, Tell you get know, better jobs. Yeah. Or just job. like use it on your phone and not, I don't know. 
I don't know. So you can't use they can't use Spotify or dude, Radio, you're or fucking, no, uh, Anchor. What I don't want? know. It's on like twelve platforms. You think they could figure it out? Um, that being said, I am not going to upload eleven episodes to YouTube, um, and I'm not going to upload future episodes. At least that's the current plan. Uh, but I'm okay with that. Yeah, we have. We're last week. I can't remember what I said we were at view or listen wise because I know we talked about it a little bit, but our last episode did it really well. Um, and I got a, actually several people that said they enjoyed the tech talk at the end of it. One guy did say he <coughs> did enjoy our talk about the trees. Um, really? Was yeah. That Keith? It was not, but <laughs> no, I think, I think Keith said he, he texted me maybe and said he liked the tree talk. I think so it was we didn't of, go too far off track. <laughs> yeah, I think it was one of Keith's buddies actually um, that texted me and said something. Uh, but yeah, our last episode did well, and everything is doing pretty well. So we're, after this episode, we'll probably be crossing that two thousand listens mark. So it's wow, growing. famous. Ex- we're famous. We basically are. Yeah, when's the red carpet? You should just fucking quit our jobs. And your boss is kind of a yeah. dick anyway, at least, you know. Yeah, fuck that guy. He's an yeah. asshole. Anyway. Yeah, so I haven't... Last weekend, all I did was fucking wheeling. Uh, I didn't do any wheeling. All I did was drifting one drift event in Oregon, one drift event in South, Southern Washington, two different days, which was fun, but it was a lot of work. And then... Uh, yeah. I went snow wheeling last night for a couple hours after work <clears throat> and because we're getting, it started dumping on Wednesday. Uh, so there was like two fresh feet of snow, which isn't like a ton, but it was you know <coughs> enough to be fun. But two fresh feet. That's a lot of fun. Yeah. At least for me when we don't get it more than like twice a year. Right. And I don't get to go up to it more than once a year. Yeah. If that. So that's cool. Well, tell us a little bit about your drifting event. What was the deal? What, how did anything break? Anything happen? I mean, I'm assuming you guys had fun. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Saturday was cool because my cousin was driving and he's been having issues with his car uh, stuff, ECU and electrical related, um, which him and a friend of mine ended up figuring the issue out on because my buddy's a uh works at a performance shop and basically they figured out because it's a standalone ecu because it's a nissan with a toyota motor in it uh and it was like the, the voltage going through the ignition which is how the ecu gets signal power um mm-hmm. was dropping to nine volts uh and it's supposed to be 12 constant or 12.6 constant. Mm. And so they ended up running a relay uh, and straight from the battery that was triggered by accessory power. So as soon as you went through accessory from the key, it would get uh, power that right. way. Um, and it ended up fixing all of the issues because it ended up rev limiting at like 5300 because it kept dropping so much voltage instead of 7600 wherever it's supposed to be at. Um, uh-huh. So yeah, that they figured that out. So that Saturday was the first time he's got to drive since they fixed that. And it seemed to go really well car wise. What motor? 
What, uh, it's what a motor one, does he have in his Nissan? One J GTE. Z. Um, Ooh, that's fun. Yeah, and it's stock turbos, big injectors, and running 18 psi on the stock twins and it made like i think he said it made like close to 350 at the wheel um and those are the motors from the early supras right yeah well there's i mean they're in a bunch of things but essentially yeah the the mark three super had them but then like any four-door not any but most four-door sedans in the 90s and even in the 2000s uh, most of them came with one J's in them also. Uh, Without the GTE though. No, even GTE in Japan. We never got them. We never got the one J here except for in the early Supra, but you can get them. Gotcha. You can import the motors super easy. Uh, Dope. Cause you don't have that kind of rule. Yeah. And then he ended up breaking all four wheel studs and losing a wheel. Um, during the Whose day. fault is that? I mean, is there anyone that we can point fingers at? I wish. I mean, specifically? I wish. He's one of those guys that's like overly anal about everything, which is good, obviously. And mm-hmm. nut and bolt checks the whole car before every event, which is like you should do before you go wheeling and stuff. And so it's he, overrated. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> and so he checked all. Uh, Check torque on all the wheels, none bolted the whole car and everything before the event. And then their ARP studs. Uh, so, I mean, they're also old and, you know, the cars go through a decent amount of abuse, um, mm-hmm. especially like dirt dropping or going off track or anything. Um, they can see like a lateral load that a lug nut obviously isn't used to getting or a lug stud's not mm-hmm. used to getting. So, yeah, it could be, I mean, yeah, it could be a number of things that could have caused it, but he did dirt drop that. Should have used an impact wrench. Right. (laughs) He did dirt drop (laughs) that lap, but, I mean, that could have been related to it also. It's hard to tell. And it, like, cleanly broke the studs off right at the hub. Um and like they didn't you couldn't see like in the wheel like they were like wallowing out the hole in the wheel at all or anything so it didn't look like they had been loose so they just sheared the studs just sheared the studs it right a, a loose thing yeah so they could wow. he's assuming that they were old enough they probably have been over tightened at some point and mm-hmm. uh over tightened enough dirt dropped enough whatever had enough stress put on because it's like they're also clutch kicking a lot so it's not like mm-hmm how a lot of people are driving vehicles so you're putting a lot of extra stress on and those are only four lug right yeah they are so you no, i mean there's no room for failure right and there is guys that do you can do five lug conversions because the later model uh 240s are five lugs so you can use those hubs and brakes and do that um but obviously that's you know an extra cost but in a situation like this, yeah, it could yep. have helped. Who knows? But yeah, it's just kind of a weird thing, especially with how particular he is about everything. But uh, it's a bummer. Yeah. It's, well, what else? What else we got going on? What did you? Uh, I mean, on the events, the drifting stuff. Um, that was pretty, Kayla. That was pretty, Dr- do some drifting. Yeah, Saturday and then Sunday, my girlfriend Kayla drifted. Um, 
also down south close to Oregon uh, and she did good. The her car held together all day. She started doing um new things cuz she's this is only her fifth event, I think. And one of the guys down in Oregon gave her a bunch of tips last time we went out and she uh started using the e-brake to initiate and stuff. So she basically was just initiating each corner, like initiating a corner, drifting through the corner, straightening out, e-braking, initiating through the next corner, and et cetera, around the track. And then throughout the day, she started initiating the first corner and then trying to transition into the next corner without straightening out, obviously. Uh, That's awesome. And then, yeah, she started getting it. The only thing that sucked is the IS 300s are their disc brake rear, but the e-brake is drum in hat. So it started getting so hot and they're like impossible to cool down unless you just let them sit. Mm -hmm. So there's like e-brake fade, but the shoes and the rotors are brand new and they were adjusted, but since they're brand new and they're adjusted, now they need to be adjusted again. So it would have been nice. You could have got, I wonder, I wonder if there's a e-brake conversion to go over the disc as like another yeah, two piston caliper. Yeah, there is. There's a do few companies that? that make a hydro, a dual caliper setup for it, um, which she's going to look into. But she was told by a lot of people. And like I told her, I was like, I don't know. Like, I know drifting because I've been around it for a long time, but I've never actually drifted. And a lot of people told her to learn the car the way it is instead of adding a bunch of stuff and having you know, a bunch of stuff that makes it easy uh, to drive. So learn to drive it, you know, with the bare minimum and you'll be way better when first. you have a bunch of stuff added to it. Kind of like learning to wheel without lockers first. and then having lockers and yeah, that kind of thing. So she wheeling IFS. Right? <laughs> so she wants to get a hydro setup eventually, but a, a good hydro dual caliper with like Willwood calipers for the e-brake side of it is like, you know, a $1,300 setup. Um. So, the podcast can pay for exactly. it. Exactly. So she should start a yeah, podcast, and then she can pay for that. But yeah, that's going oh, good, yeah. and she's learning pretty fast. So now we just need that's, to replace a bunch of cool blown out suspension arms on the car because it has two hundred eighteen thousand miles on it. But uh, going Polly or Delrin or what's the deal? Yeah, it's. Some most of it's gonna be fucking straight Himes and Polly, and then the rest Ooh. of it will be race car. Yeah, the rest of it will be all Polly. I mean, it, she doesn't drive it a lot on the street, so. Okay, I was gonna say if, if it's driven on the street, Himes are no fun. Yeah, no, she she probably drives it. I don't know, maybe two hundred miles a month on the street max. So. Oh. Yeah. In the summer, she'll drive it more, but nice. obviously that you can deal with hives more in the summertime. So anyway, let's uh, move along here. I think that's it for our updates yeah. and our fucking... Sounds about right. I was thinking we're so, two minutes. Sounds like... I guess we had to talk about other stuff that I have to cut out. Of oh, yeah, we had, we had like five minutes yeah. at the beginning. So, um, so it sounds like a lot of people enjoyed the tech talk last week yep. and... Sounds like a lot of people are enjoying learning a little bit about suspension and all that fun stuff. So I figured let's start talking about suspension. And I think today's best topic is kind of the key words, key topics to know when you start working on suspension. Because if you don't know these keywords and what these things are, 
then you'll never be able to understand how each thing affects the other thing and what to look for and what sacrifices because just like almost everything else, suspension is constant compromises and sacrifices. Yeah. So you need to know what your priorities are, how those sacrifices affect and you know what to, what to look forward to. So kind of give um, a, the first a glossary here oh. so in future episodes when we're getting <laughs> deeper into stuff then you have like so if, when we're using terms about certain things about suspension you're be able to know or have an idea of what it actually does versus us saying a term and you guys having no idea what we're talking about. So I think Yeah, and I've had a couple people actually messaged me about my last episode and I did kind of script a couple things mostly when it comes to the three link and the upper control arm right at first I said it doesn't affect uh, the anti-squad I think I said and then I came back a couple minutes later and I said no it, it I was wrong it, it does affect the end it's more than just it doesn't affect the roll axis angle right uh, the upper control arm it affects the you know okay well we're good so um but I corrected myself I had a couple people say you mispronounce things or I miss said things and I went back and listened to what they were saying, and I did not actually mispronounce some of the things. It sounds like some of the people don't understand the difference between a couple of these okay. keywords. So that's what made me want to talk about this is um, they're missing a couple of these keywords. So um, I may have screwed up, but those two people that hit me up, actually, yeah, I'm going to correct them. Wait. And I'll explain why. So the first one, I'm just going to go through the list of words, and then we'll go into each one. So roll center, that is, you're going to hear that a lot. Especially, we, we've probably used that more than any other term on this podcast. And that is mostly because we've been talking about panhards and panhard brackets and stuff like that. So, roll center is the first one. Roll axis, which you, you'll hear roll axis inclination or roll axis angle. Uh, you could just say roll axis, and most people will know what you're talking about. Um, instant center, anti squat, and roll steer. Roll steer is directly related to roll axis, and we will explain why. Um, I don't know if I'll get to that in this episode, but I took some notes and stuff I wanted to talk about. So, um, so roll center, I pulled up the definition of rolled center on Wiki, and it says the roll center of a vehicle is the notion, I don't even know how to pronounce this, notional point at which the cornering forces in the suspension are reacted to the vehicle body. So that might not be easy to like, really understand, but basically what it is, it's where the strong weight pivots around the axle, the suspension. So uh, you could picture it, and what a lot of people have said, it's picture it almost as a lever uh, when you're trying to picture how roll center affects things. The higher up the roll center is, the less leverage that your center of gravity affects the roll so if your roll center is as high as your center of gravity then you effectively won't have any body roll because there's just as much weight above your pivot point as there is below your pivot point so when you go around the corner it's going to be like driving a brake so and some people think well the higher the roll center the better it is not necessarily because if it's really high and you're going around a corner and it's driving like a brick going to drive really funky and one of the biggest things on roll center is why you don't want to go too high is jacking and if you don't know what jacking is you can kind of picture things as like um trying to think maybe a broom like a push broom well if you have that push broom at a low angle so think of this as your axle when you're cornering 
It's where the roll center comes down to your tire contact patch. So picture that. So if you're like thinking of your pan hard bar or like where your upper control arms, if on a four link come together, that's kind of usually where roughly where the roll center is. Um, that's an estimate on where you can picture it. And picture that line going from the center of the axle where the middle of the pan hard is or the upper control arms center and down to your tire contact patch. Well, if that angle is really steep, it's really high, the roll center. Well, when you go around a corner, Think of like when you're pushing a broom, if it's a really flat angle, you're going to be able to slide over things really easy. Where if it's a really steep angle, it's going to catch and want to go over. So the flatter the angle, the less jacking, less when it hits something, the less it's going to want to rise up. So you'll see like racing cars, they will have a lower roll center because it will reduce the body wanting to lift jack up as it corners. So that's the big thing about roll center. So High is good for most of us, especially in the off-road world, um, but going too high is not necessarily that good, especially when you're going fast. And that's why I talked about in the past, in like the pre-runner scene, you know, the desert trucks, they don't have a super high roll center. But if you look at the like rock buggies, the moon buggies and stuff like that, those guys you'll have, so a lot of them have like a three link just because of packaging reasons. You'll see that their pan hard brackets are like sometimes a foot almost above the axle center line. And that's quite a high roll center. So, you know, that that's just one of the things. The higher the roll center, the more stable. So as I was saying, it's going to drive like a brick. If you're going around a corner, obviously, you don't necessarily want it to drive like a brick because it's going to end up wanting to jack. But if you're going really slow and you're off camber and stuff, well, your body's not going to want to roll. So effectively, it's going to be less tippy. However, you'll not know exactly when it's going to roll because you're not going to get that weird feeling of, uh-oh, it's leaning, it's leaning, it's leaning. If it's, the higher it is, if it's at the same point as your center of gravity, then it's just get basically going to follow the wheels, the axles. So you're not going to really feel it. You're going to have less feel in it. And then if it's, if the roll center is higher than the center of gravity, you're actually going to lean into corners. Or if you're going off, center, off uh, camber, you're going to lean into the hill, which is like the opposite. So you're just going to have less uh, want to roll. It's not going to want to roll as easy, but you're not going to feel it actually roll over. So you're going to get less feel. So, you know, there's pros and cons. Typically, you want your roll center lower than the center of gravity. But depending on what your goals are, how high between your axle center line and that for off-roading is what your goals are. So you got to figure out what your goals are, what your needs, and, an easy, and what you can package. An easy so, way that I've had it explained to me a few times, and even <clears throat> when I was talking to Phoenix a little about center of gravity and trying to figure out where that's at an easy way instead of trying to do all of the math to figure out center of gravity uh and i won't go into all of that but if an easy way to understand roll center is if you just like look at the front or the back of your vehicle um pick a spot like if you look at the back look at your receiver hitch call that your quote-unquote roll center and then uh go a foot above that and that can be where your center of gravity is at and if you take those two points the closer those two points are going to get together or you're the higher you move that roll center to the center of the gravity of the vehicle the less the less that distance is the less body roll you're going to have the lower that distance is the more body roll you're going to have um and like steven said at the beginning there's Mm -hmm. trade-offs and compromises to everything like in track racing guys like to run 
you know, a little bit lower roll center and then they, they'll run it like a couple inches off yeah, the ground and then they can way below the axle yep. center line and then they can get, you know, run big sway bars so they can transfer a lot of weight to the outside tires and help with cornering and stuff like that. So there's a lot that, you know, obviously give and take on a bunch of different things depending on, mm-hmm. you know, what your setup is. and what yeah, You'll see for. like a lot of, yeah, like you're saying with the track cars, they'll have a roll center between the wheel, the axle center line and the ground. Yeah. Sometimes somewhere between there is usually where it seems to end up based on what I've read. I'm not an expert when it comes right. to this stuff. But the reason that they do it lower is they have stiffer suspension usually. They're not getting so much wheel travel. They run stiff sway bars. And the reason they run it lower is because when it goes into a corner, it'll want to actually suck down into the corner rather than want to jack up. Because when you start jacking things up, you raise your roll, your center of gravity even higher, and it wants to transfer more weight to the outside tire, which is not always a good thing. You want things to be stay a little more planted and right. even. So, you know, there's a lot of trade-offs, and you just got to figure out what works for you. But I kind of hopefully gave a good understanding and a couple of different scenarios on why what roll center is and why you might want to do things one way or the other but um, something that i've noticed on roll center is like on a uh, four link like especially like a, a triangulated upper four link where the uppers are on top of the axle <clears throat> um you can't really get your roll center super low i mean it's it's basically unless you run your upper links kind of more per- parallel and then down on top of the axle housing itself rather than on top of the differential housing uh on the axle right. i mean not the um, diff housing but yeah that's like the only way to really get it low but then you start getting weird trade-offs onto like anti-squat and stuff like that and uh ground clearance so for off-roading the higher roll center is okay and it just depends on how high you want to go depending on your needs but um it's a lot easier to get a low roll center with a three link it seems like than it is a four link because you can just drop that pan hard as low right. as you really And want. keep in mind that, uh, or for the people listening, that a lot of information that you're going to find online is going to be regarding IRS vehicles, too, when it comes to a lot of this. Uh, yeah, and and that's we what I'm talking about here is not even touching on independent right. suspension because that's a totally different ballgame, and you can, you can get your roll center super low on independent yep. suspension stuff. So... Yeah. Okay. And then, all right, what was the next one? So roll axis, there's actually two different ways that roll axis inclination or roll axis angle is calculated. There is your rear roll axis angle. There's your front roll axis angle. And then there's your vehicles roll axis angle. So what roll axis angle is, let's just say we're doing rear suspension geometry. Rear roll axis is where your roll center and your instant center meet that line. So actually we should probably talk about what instant center is. Sorry, there's a truck driving by and it's loud. <laughs> so I don't even remember if I even wrote down the definition of instant center, but what instant center is, is so take, so say you have triangulated lowers. And so say you have triangulated lowers and follow the lines where those links meet and wherever the, the uh, you know hypothetical line, Wherever those two lines meet is your instant center. And that can change depending on your suspension cycle. So you have your upper, you have your lower roll or instant center, and then you have your upper instant center. And the line between those, that's how you find your 
roll center as well. You use the two instant centers. So you have your lower instant center, then you have your upper instant center, and then there's that hypothetical line between the two points. And wherever that point is, above, directly above your axle center line, is your roll center. So the way your instant center works is the line going between those. So your in, your two instant centers is that line is your roll axis angle. So I hope I didn't screw that up. I said a lot of different terms, and I don't think I hope it I said it all right correctly. to me. But I also have two and a half <laughs> so, hours of sleep, so maybe not. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I said a lot of things. I was thinking back, and like, did I actually say all those terms in the right way? But yeah, so that's how you find your instance or your roll axis angle for either your front or your rear. You find your two instant centers that line, and that can change throughout your suspension cycle depending on you know what you got going on. Um, but that's that. And then here's your vehicle's roll axis angle. And that is your roll center on the front to your roll center on the back. If it slopes starting from the front to the back, that's a negative roll axis angle. If it slopes from the front down to the back, that's a positive roll axis angle. Typically, you want a slight negative roll axis. Um, that will induce understeer oversteer. So if you have a negative roll axis angle, you are going to have more understeer so you're going to want to plow into corners a little bit more it'll drive through the corners and then if you have oversteer i hope everyone understands all this stuff oversteer it's going to want to oversteer into the corner so it'll make you want to spin out more likely rather than plow through the corner so um, that affects things so the lower your roll axis angle further negative the more understeer you have um, and we can we can talk about that later on how to combat getting that roll axis angle in the right angle sometimes you might want it to not be super negative sometimes you want it to be a slight positive like on mine i have like a negative four degree angle and i have a little bit too much understeer but i can easily combat that which is why, why i designed it this way is to have a rear sway bar a rear sway bar will help reduce the understeer rear sway bar induces oversteer front sway bar induces and is understeer so that you sway bar isn't anything like under two degrees positive isn't that you know a good place to be right yeah once you <clears throat> yeah so basically what i've read and i'm not a super expert on this but basically what i've read is anywhere from positive two to negative two is kind of like your little golden area on you're good to go if you're really smart and you know all your stuff then you might want to do things different because of other reasons. I don't know what those other reasons are, but you might want something maybe positive for because you're doing something with your sway bars or other parts of your suspension or your goals, or you might want more negative. Like I was saying, for other reasons, I want a little bit more negative because I planned on running a rear sway bar. So that is going to help. So that way with a rear sway bar, I'll have a little bit firmer rear suspension and that little bit of roll understeer is gonna really be stable on the high speed stuff. Too much is never good, but there's a balance. And so I think what I have, once I go with sway bar, it's going to drive, in my opinion, I'm hoping it's going to drive perfect for what I want. So um, yeah, there's that. So we already talked about roll axis angle inclination. Um, we already talked about instant center is the point where the links, if you follow the lines of the links, wherever those lines meet, that's your instant center. There's your upper, your lower, connect the, the dots from the upper to the lower, and that's your roll axis angle. Um, anti-squat. So this is another thing that there's anti-squat and anti-dive. 
anti-squat is in the usually in the rear suspension when you're going forward when you're accelerating forward so typically you'll notice when you do stuff when you throttle the rear wants to sink and the front wants to rise so when in the rear that's we're going to talk about just the rear because it's basically the same exact thing applies to anti-dive which is in the front it's combating the opposite when you hit the brakes the dive um there's two ways that this works um the most common thing that what most people think of is your um inertia induced anti-squat and so when you accelerate forward that gravity is wanting to pull back because you know like newton's uh, law of physics whatever objects in motion will stay in motion unless acted upon by an outside force all that fun stuff that we learned in probably like seventh grade so <laughs> your body is going to want to stay but your wheels and stuff are accelerating forward so the way that your anti-squat works is you set up your link angles and it kind of has similar things to do with how your uh, like roll axis angle, how you're using different points, not the same points necessarily, but how you're using points, your instant centers to determine where that line is going to be positive, your 100% line. So you always start with your 100% line. And the way you find your 100% line is you take your, your links, you find your instant center way up front, <clears throat> typically way up front for your lowers. And then you have your, um, Let's see, I'm trying to think how this how this would work. Then you have your lines for your upper control arms, and you follow that and where that line. So you're looking at now. Now you're looking at things from the side, where before I, you're looking at things from the top. When I was looking at uh, roll axis angle, so we're looking at things from the side. So say you have your lower links from the axle going to the frame, sloping up a little bit, and then you have your upper links. Say they're just level, they're perpendicular to the or they're parallel to the ground. Well, those are eventually going to meet, forming an instant center up front. And then you take that instant center and you take that and you take a line from that instant center down to the tire contact patch. And that is your that is your uh, anti-squat line you're basing things out of, off of. And then you have your 100% anti-squat would be instead of that line going from your instant center, you take that same line from your center of gravity and the difference between the height from your center of gravity to the ground is your percentage so if your instant center for that is at the same point as your center of gravity then you have 100 percent anti-squat if that point where is lower depending on what the percentage the difference is your percentage of anti-squat so you can have plus positive or minus anti-squat so i think i got that right and if i did not get that right i'm trying to no and i'm looking at the three link calculator as you're going through this and so you can actually i can see each line that you're talking about because obviously those are all in there uh and so far what you're saying Mm. sounds good there's times where i catch myself looking at the calculator and finding things and then uh you keep going and i'm like shit where's he at now (laughs) but so are you looking at the three link or the four link calculator three link and if you guys haven't if you guys are interested in link suspension you need to go online i don't even remember what the website is but you just type in triaged four link calculator or triaged three link calculator and there's a website i can't remember the name i will we could maybe include it in the notes in the no 
Uh, Crawlpedia is a great resource, though. So uh, if anyone wants to learn more about this stuff, I've learned a lot from them. So go on there and go to Crawlpedia website. Look at their tech section. They have a lot of good stuff on there. So it's a great resource. Shout out to them for actually putting that up together, putting it together. I think Crawlpedia has links to uh, the calculators. So that might be what I'm thinking. There's a website that has it. That, that's where I got both the calculators from. And it looks kind of like a sketchy website, but it's just a really simple, plain website that doesn't have a lot of stuff. And then you can click yep. it. We can, I can find the website and maybe we can include it in the, in the description. Crawlpedia and that whatever it is, we'll include both of them. So I'll email it to you, Tyler or Trevor. Works um, so we got anti-squat. And so we're, this is your inertia-induced anti-squat. So we figured out how to find anti-squat. And then, so the way anti-squat works is when you're throttling, if that line is say 100% anti-squat, so the line goes from your center of tire contact patch up to your center of gravity. Well, if it's 100%, then when you accelerate, that center of gravity is pushing along those suspension links directly along the link, the the path of the links. So you're going to have a very rigid vehicle. It's not going to want to lean back and squat down as you accelerate because that motion, that force is going to be translated directly down the links, basically in the same exact angle as your tire contact patch and your center of gravity. So it's not going to rise or lift. If you have over 100% anti-squat, then as that happens, it's going to want to lift your vehicle, the rear of your vehicle up. And we're, we're talking about rear suspension right now. It's going to want to lift that rear of the vehicle up as you accelerate. So that could be good for sometimes when you're crawling. You want to, some, some of the crawling guys have 100 plus percent anti-squat. Um, it seems like basically what I've read in like Pirate and stuff, that's starting to go away. That trend is starting to go into staying just below 100 percent anti-squat. Um, and the reason for that, what I think is, I think you get, if you have over 100 percent, you start to get more wheel hop. And then that's never good. So I think people are starting to go less. And I, I could be wrong on that, but I think that's one of the reasons. Um, and I think... And, and as you're accelerating, especially up a hill, where your gravity is you know, even more pronounced, it's going to want your rear end to rise. And that's not always the best thing to do. So, um, yeah, I'm yeah, not... And, and negative, or under a negative, not negative, but under 100% anti-squad seems to be more predictable also. Yes. Than yeah. uh, over a hundred percent anti squat, if that so makes like, sense. So based on my experience, so my stock suspension when I had it lifted, I ran all the numbers through the three link calculator. Uh, I had like seventy something percent anti squat, if I remember right, and I actually really liked the way it handled. It was great. I thought it was perfect. Um, my new suspension setup with the four, the triangulated four link. This is one of my compromises. I have like ninety, like in the low nineties on the anti squat anti-squat percent and when i'm going through like whoops and stuff it feels like just a little bit too stiff not necessarily through the suspension uh dampening but you could feel that that bind as you're accelerating through bumps and stuff that it's putting a lot of uh motion a lot of that force through the links rather than just translate it into the shocks taking care of that or the coils taking care of that so what i've seen in in red is that the desert trucks they usually have a lot lower anti-squat because it helps keeping things from being so rigid it puts more force into the uh, vertical motion of the shocks and the springs rather than through the actual linked suspension 
so it's not as as firm. And you can see that when if you you know just watch free runners leave from a starting line, you can see that they squat quite a bit, and mm. that is specifically done for that. I mean, obviously these guys know what they're doing, so they mm. specifically so designed it because the more yeah. or the lower your anti squat is, the more squat that the truck is going to have can make things more predictable for what they're doing. And it also helps, at least from what I've been told, because I've asked a couple guys why pre-runners squat so much. And they said, like, uh, if you're getting into a shitty situation and you're coming up on big whoops or, you know, a big drop that you weren't expecting and you get hard on throttle, the truck's going to naturally squat and that can help suck up any gnarly bumps that, and you know whoops or that yeah. you weren't things, expecting to. Wh- why i think that they do that why it makes more sense is one if your rear squat kind of translates some of that weight to the rear more and kind of gets your front end up and when you're hitting things like think of when you're riding a bike if you just like run into a bump or even a skateboard and you run into a bump and you're just staying flat well you're probably going to eat shit at some point where if you just lean back and let your front tire kind of skip over it, well, that's kind of how these trucks are. These race trucks, these trophy trucks and stuff, they have so much suspension travel and so much of that travel is up travel that when they're squatting back, they're not, it's not like they're bottoming out. They still have a lot, but right. it's keeping that front end light and letting it skip over. And also, like when you're going to be hitting bumps and stuff, um, you don't want that when you're hard on the throttle, all that force to be translated straight through the suspension link. You want your shocks to be doing all that work or a lot of that work. So a lot of these trucks seem to be having from what I've read, I'm not, again, I don't build these trucks, but from what I've read and seen, it looks like probably between like the 30 to 50% range is what a lot of these guys seem to have where like rock crawling guys, they seem to have like 50% to 150% based on what I've seen. Some are more or less. But I'd say the range for like rock crawling guys seems to be like in the 70 to 90 something percent, 70 to 100 percent. And I have like about 90 something and I wish I had about 70 something. Uh, once you get I into like. That I'm going to build under- mine about 30 percent. So when I'm driving on the road, it makes it look fast. So and I like on the freeway and I like hammer down, it'll squat a bunch. And <laughs> this is for look faster. <laughs> Yeah, I've, uh, my dad's Jeep actually, he actually just switched it up a little bit because his mounting brackets have multiple holes, but mm-hmm. he probably had like less than 70, probably in like the 60% anti squat range based on what I can kind of picture. Um, and it squats a little bit more than what's comfortable. I think the 75 ish range is probably a good all arounder. It's nice in the bumps when you're throttling through, it doesn't feel so like, I know, pogo sticky, like just translating straight through the links. It lets a little right. bit more go straight in the vertical motion. Um, and just driving, accelerating, like you take it out of park and you put it into gear and all of a sudden you feel it squat down. Kind of weird. I don't think it's for, for a daily driver, all around vehicle going much lower than that. I don't really see it, see much of a need, but when you're doing race truck stuff and free running stuff, you're willing to compromise the on-road drivability for off-road capability speed so um so yeah that's anti-squat and then there's that's the um inertia induced anti-squat because you're accelerating 
and the center of gravity, the weight is wanting to stay in place because the Newton's what third law. Um, so it's going to want to, you know, rise or drop depending on your percentages. Then there's the, it's easier to describe in uh, anti-dive side of things, especially if you can visually look at it, but I'll try to explain it with the rear. Um, I think this is how it's explained on one of the YouTube videos, uh, Busted Knuckle Films. He describes it this way, and this is, I think, because he's building these rock bouncers that have, you know, 800 horsepower and stuff like this. So there is a lot of horsepower to make this happen, but basically what it is, it's your torque induced. Or if it was anti-dive, it would be your brake induced. This would be your torque induced um, anti-squat, where most vehicles don't have enough power for this to really, in my opinion, make a huge difference. Most of it's right. going to be your inertia induced. And the way this work works is when you throttle, your wheels are turning, right? Because of the, the you know, the drive shaft and all that stuff. It's turning the axles. Well, the pinion is going to want to rise the opposite direction. So if you were trying to go forward, the pinion is going to want to rise the rise and twist the axle the opposite direction of what your wheels are doing because of how, you know, physics works. Uh, something's got to be pushed on the other. So your links are what's holding your axle from just spinning in circles and ripping your drive shaft off so there's that so when you the more power you have the more likely your axle is going to want to rotate and you obviously if your links are built right your axle cannot rotate but it's going to try its best to try to ro rotate and it's going to try to pull on your suspension on your links so the upper link is going to be wanting to pull back and the lowers are going to want to push forward because of the rotation especially depending on where your links are mounted so the higher the uppers are the more leverage it has on the axle on that twisting. And then the lower it is on the lowers, the more leverage it has on this whole thing. So that leverage, and I'm not by any means an expert in this side of things, especially when it comes to the you know anti-squat, but the way it works is it's trying to pull your vehicle and push and pull. And so the steeper your angles of your links are, the more it's going to, and the more separation and stuff, I think, is more it's going to want to rise the vehicle up or suck the vehicle down depending on how much torque you have so i hope that makes sense as you're twisting it it's going to move these the linkage and it's either going to pull you know back and up or back and down whatever but that's how the torque induced and you flip it for the same thing on the brakes braking is a lot more pronounced because typically you can brake faster than you can accelerate i would and hope. so that's a lot more pronounced yeah right <laughs> um <laughs> So in the front, there is usually anti-dive built in. And that's what a lot of people talk about when they're talking about anti-dive up front. It's your brake-induced anti-dive. And usually that's built into your upper control arms on an IFS vehicle. On a solid axle vehicle, it's built into the link suspension geometry. And it's kind of the same way looking at it. Um, you're looking at it from the side view. And you're looking at your um, center of gravity in the same way you're finding the anti-squat is the same way you're finding things for the inertia induced this is your dive and your anti-squat so inertia induced if you find it the same exact way your uh torque induced or your brake induced it's a little bit different calculation i don't know the calculation there's a thread on pirate 4x4 explaining all this and how to find it um i haven't delved too deep into it i saw it and i kind of glazed over and i haven't gone back since so i do need to go back and learn a little bit more about it So. 
hopefully that explains anti-squat and the differences between anti-squat. Usually you're going to hear because most of these vehicles aren't like drag racing vehicles with, you know, thousand plus horsepower, you're not going to worry about the, and there are the torque induced as much. Inertia is going to be a lot more pronounced. So last topic I have is roll steer. Roll steer, kind of hard to explain without visually seeing it. So if you want to know a little bit more about it, definitely Google it because it's a lot easier. And all these things, you should probably be Googling it and maybe go on to Crawlpedia. They have a lot of good information to talk about this stuff. And also there's videos. Engineering Explained has some good videos. Yes, um, they do. Busted Knuckle Films, I think that's who does the videos. Uh, I think if so. I remember right, I think it's Busted Knuckle. So he has a lot of good stuff on there as well. Uh, for the most part, I agree with pretty much everything. The only thing that I would say is probably not as described is the inertia versus the uh, torque-induced anti-squat. They kind of talk about it in the torque-induced, where I think it's more pronounced in the inertia-induced. So that's just the only thing that I would explain it more as an inertia-induced because it makes more sense in most applications. But either way, he's still right. Um so roll steer, basically roll steer and roll axis are directly related. Roll steer is an effect of for roll axis angle. So basically what you think, what you can think about this is an axle and hard to even describe this without drawing it or something. But basically so what happens is you, throughout your suspension. Your and visualize, <laughs> even if you're driving, just keep your eyes closed. Close your eyes and visualize. I like it. <laughs> oh, that's a cool truck. Got 24s on a GMC Sierra lifted like way up in the sky. I feel like I'm in Central California. And that's a big did old it, Sierra sticker on the back. Did uh, do you think he's related, or do you think uh, his wife is also his cousin? <laughs> uh, I would say probably not. Okay. I don't think uh, Hispanics in inbreed as much as white Ooh, people do. Did not know he is Hispanic. This makes sense. Yeah, hey, I don't think yeah, they inbreed yeah, that. That, like us folks <laughs> yeah like us fucking whiteies <laughs> <laughs> all right anyway. back on topic damn it yeah roll what steer, you roll steer. <laughs> so roll steer the easiest way to describe the way it works is literally what's going to happen is throughout your suspension cycle it's more pronounced the shorter your links the more pronounced it's going to get so you'll see this a lot on stock suspension geometry especially like on our four, third gen forerunners, it's really shitty. So you'll see like if you, so you could probably go, uh, I know um, someone recently posted, I'm trying to remember who it was, but someone recently posted a picture and saying how like roll steer sucks. And yeah, true. So in a lot of aspects, a lot of times, if you have a positive roll axis angle or you have uh, a lot of positive, or if you have a lot of oversteer in your roll, steer what's going to happen is as one tire drops it will end up swinging down and forward because you know that pivot that arc as that tire swings down on that link the link is going to pull it forward and then the upper as that suspension moves up it's going to want to push the tire back so up and back and then the other side's going to go down and forward so if you're looking at things from the top the one tire that's drooped way out it's going to swing forward a little bit and it might not be a whole lot, but a little bit goes a long way when you're going 70 miles an hour. Um, try turning the wheel, you know, a quarter turn while you're doing 70 and see how that works out. So 
and one side is going to go back. So if you look at it from the top, the one side tire is going to be forward a little bit and one tire is going to be back a little bit. And that's when you're flexed out. But when you have body roll, you're essentially flexing out. Might not be as much as when you're rock, rock, rock crawling or anything or driving on RTI ramps, but you're going to be, you know, your suspension is going to be cycling different one side to the other. And so as it rolls, one tire is going to be pushed back. And so if you have oversteer, the outside tire is going to be further back than the inside tire. And so that's going to cause you to, as you're turning and you start leaning more, you are going to have to counter react in the front. You're going to have to turn the wheel back. And what I hated about this in my stock suspension, especially without a sway bar, is as you go around a corner and you start leaning and you start now, you're, you're steering the wheel opposite of which way you're turning because now the rear, you're getting basically rear steer at this point. So as you're turning, you're countering, and then all of a sudden, it because you counter just a tiny bit too much, it'll less body roll. So now you have to turn the wheel back into the corner, and then it's going to cause more body roll. And so you kind of have to, and you hit a bump, and this goes nuts because you can't predict it. So the worst your roll axis in my head right now, like I can just I know <laughs> I, I just feel exactly everything that you're talking about drives me so fucking mad and that's why i cannot wait yeah not be four linked in the, our factory four link in the rear if you count it as that yeah roll axis just think of your shitty roll axis angle and shorter yeah. length so the shorter your links the more pronounced so say i mean you can use the, like the uh, Pythagorean theorem you find your hypotenuse so through that wheel arc as it drops down you're going to have a swing forward well if you have if you have 12 inches of travel and you have a you know 20 inch link well that swing down is going to be quite a bit to be more pronounced <laughs> where if you have a 40 inch long link and you have 12 inches of travel well that movement forward that arc is going to be a way longer radius and so you're going to have less forward movement so that's another reason to have longer links because the the changes in your suspension cycle are going to be the, the changes are going to be way, greatly reduced so that's why you want longer links to an extent because then the counter to having really long links is you have really long links sticking sticking out lose clearance the longer they are the easier they are to bend so so on and so forth but um so yeah that's that's roll steer i hope that makes sense basically one side of the axle is moving further forward than the other side then if you have roll understeer it's going to be the opposite. As you lean into a corner, it's going to want the back end is actually going to counter steer. It's going to be, you know, doing the opposite of rolling into the corner, steering into the corner. So you're going to have to counter steer and turn even harder into the corner to get it to actually corner. So as you turn more, which I'd rather have that after going from one extreme sort of to the other, uh, being at like negative four degrees rather than like positive 12 or 13 or whatever I was at before which is a ton, anything more than like four degrees positive, you're just going to be a bad time. So and if you look at any it, flexed pictures of a FJA or a fourth gen or a third gen that is, you know, has a decent amount, decent length shock in the rear and is flexed out, you can noticeably see and it like kind of what Steven's talking about. If you basically draw a line straight down the side of the vehicle, that's, you know, your, your plane that the wheel travels on at right height. And then at full tuck, the front of the tire is going to be pointing away from the body. And at full droop, it's going to be pointing 
uh, towards the body. The front of the tire is going to be pointing towards the body. So you're actually essentially, quote unquote, turning the wheels like you like your front wheels are turning like a rear steer effect as one tire drops <coughs> more than the other. Uh, and you're going to get that yeah. effect when you're driving on road also as much as uh, hopefully not as much as when you're at full flex. Um, but you're going to get that, you know, similar effect and it with our factory setups, it is not good at all. Yep. And another thing too, is if you have a really positive roll axis angle and you turn on your rear locker and you go around a corner, you're going to probably three wheel motion. You're going to lift that corner because what's going to happen is you're going to have so much traction and your roll axis angle is going to want to pull, like kind of how we were talking about the torque induced anti-squat kind of thing, right. where it's going to be pulling and twisting on your links and pulling your vehicle whatever way it can. If you have your rear locked and you go around a corner with a really high positive, it's going to want to steer your vehicle and twist your vehicle up. And this is that part of your roll axis angle. So if you have a very positive roll axis angle, that angle is going to want to twist your vehicle up and if you have especially with like ifs where it's you know pretty stiff side to side it's not going to flex a bunch it's going to want to lift one of your tires up so that's obviously something you don't want at all right so and that also is a big thing in crawling too so if it happens while you're going around a corner what happens when you're going up a waterfall and you have to turn a little bit or you're leaning into this corner me and my buddy matt experienced this exact same thing so i don't know if anyone's seen pictures of my passenger side door i have a big old dent on the side so we're on this trail and over there by ridgecrest and right after we smashed our doors the next obstacle was this like sort of a v-notch thing but the v was sort of at an angle so you're going at a little bit of angle and so you're kind of flexed a little bit but not a ton so but you need to have your lockers because how it's like a angle and you're gonna you know you just have to have your lockers on so going up it when i went up at first it was cake i went right up it and it felt planted good it was a little bit steep but nothing no problem by any means i got up it matt comes and he takes the exact same line as i have i did everything about our vehicles are very similar same vehicle a lot of similar stuff same tire size similar amount of lift he has a little more lift than i have but he has stock suspension geometry which has and even though he has a higher lift which usually the higher lift makes your positive angle even worse uh he kept lifting his front tire everything we tried to do he was just lifting he couldn't get up it with just the front lock because it was when it was leaning over it would not put enough weight on the tires up front so he had to have the rear locked and when the rear was locked it was just he'd give it a little bit of throttle he has dual cases he'd give it a little bit of throttle and that front end would just rise up nothing he can do so what we did is we hooked up a toe strap to his corner of his bumper to my truck and I just kept tension, as much tension as I could on that. That way, as he was going up, I was pulling him down. And he still, even with me pulling on his vehicle, he still leaned enough to hit his passenger side window on the rock and break, break his window. And there's actually, so that video is on your YouTube. So if people want to see that, it's actually a pretty good explanation of, you know, how much the, yeah. on his, how much that, that roll steer actually affects uh yeah so it sounds like what i was talking about earlier it sounds like oh you know high speed stuff you want you know it's a big difference but crawling too it's still when you have that traction in that right situation i've been in multiple situations where i've gone over stuff because i have that low relax single it basically it's the opposite he's wanting to lift where mine was wanting to like squat down 
mine was stuck in the front end into the corner. So like I drive around the on the street before I did this, every corner I did, no matter how slow, I was able to basically get the front tire off the ground. Oh. Now I have to hit a corner really hard, hit a bump. Like when I turn into my neighborhood, there's that dip for the, like the water, the gutter. Okay. And if I hit that right, when, I basically leave my rear end locked all the time because I fucked up the electronic wiring somehow. Mm. I don't know where, and I feel easy to find it. Uh, so I just leave it locked all the time. So I pull into my neighborhood and I get on the gas around this corner. I can three wheel it, but it sucks right back down yeah. as soon as it starts straightening out where before it would just, I was able to just drive in circles and go super slow and do it. So I have a funny story that about that. Our, if, uh, depending on how much more you have going on here, I have, uh, what time is it? We're in at about an hour. Okay. Well, I have probably another five, 10 minutes. Go. So what's your story? Oh, I mean, you can, I mean, all right, it'll, I'll tell it quick. No, I was just, we, <laughs> I had taken my rear sway, or I broke my rear factory rear sway bar, even with extended links on it. And I was trying to turn across traffic and it was like a little bit downhill, like, like, so off camber to the passenger side and I was turning left and I was trying to, and like, I had been sitting there for like five minutes. So I was like, as soon as this car goes, I'm going to go. And I had forgot that I took my rear sway bar out and rear sway bar obviously helps with that. And I like, yeah. I'm not even locked in the rear, but I turn in and I'm like turned full lock. So I just throttle at when my tires are at full lock and like the rear of the truck squats down and my driver side tire came probably like a foot and a half off the ground, but I was turning into a concert. So there's a bunch of like police standing there. Uh, Oh, I throttle and I turn into the corner and like, and I just like hammer down. I don't like lift and let it set back down. And the two cops that were standing at the entrance to the venue, like their fucking eyes were so big. And like, then I it sat down and I drove right past them. And they like looked at me as I drove past, like all concerned and everything. And it was pretty fucking funny. And my girlfriend had never felt that before. And she was in the passenger seat. And she thought we were going to flip. And I was like, it's fine. It's not that big of a deal. It would take a lot for me to that fucking flip on flat road. But have you, have you tried what I was saying? Lock your rear axle, take off your sway bars, and just, just drive in a circle on the asphalt? I have, have you ever done just that? on like accidentally. So I've never like tried to get it to three wheel. And I know that the FJ links are a little bit long. Like I think factory like. I don't know about uppers, but I know the lowers are like four inches longer than the third gens. Um, so for something like that, so it helps, yeah. you know, it, it's a little bit better, but it, yeah, it probably help. you might have a little bit lower relax angle yeah. than like what my, I had uh, when I, about maybe two, three years ago, right. I posted a video, yep. um, drive me driving. I did a U-turn in my street yep. <laughs> and I did a three wheel, three wheel. I was talking to my wife and I was like, Hey, you want to see something cool? Cause she's never seen me like seen me do it on the on the outside right. she's always been in the vehicle so you want to see something cool she goes sure okay so she's holding my daughter and she's taking a video i'm like film it so i did a little u-turn and three-wheel motion everyone's like oh my god how did you do that and so all of a sudden a bunch of people started doing it and these people are like almost rolling their shit <laughs> I'm like no dude you have to lock your axle that's why you can do it so controlled because right. a little bit of throttle i can just pick that tire up out of that corner so it's pretty funny so i started telling everyone like, no, you have to lock your rear axle. And then next thing you know, there's a bunch of videos of people doing three wheels. It was hilarious. I thought it was pretty dang cool. It was like the most viewed video I've ever posted or post I, I've ever had. There was like 13,000 views on yeah. it. I was like, what the hell? This stupid ass video. Yeah. 
everyone wants to just keep seeing it and watching it. I thought it was hilarious. That was one of the that of all things. That's probably right around when I started following you. It was it was probably a little bit before that, and then I saw that. I was like, this guy seems like I would get along with him well. <laughs> <laughs> That's a fun party trick, and like people yeah, are riding yeah. with you, and they've never felt that before. Because if I if I <clears throat> doing like a U turn or something being long travel on the front and wider, it's a little bit harder to get it to do it, especially with a short wheelbase, it seems like. Uh-huh. Uh, but if I'm yep. ch- turning sharp, I can get it to do it, you know, pretty simply, even with the rear sway bar in. And it's funny for people to fucking feel that have never felt it before. But Yep, definitely. I used to do that to a lot of my buddies. We'd pull onto the street for something. Yep. We'd, I'd be locked in the rear and I wouldn't unlock it. I'd get onto the street and I'd just give it a little bit of gas and be like, whoa, whoa, whoa. But because of how bad the situation was and the little amount of throttle I had to do to make it happen, I had a lot of control to be yeah. able to do it. So I didn't have to give it a lot of throttle and do anything super crazy to make it happen. But nowadays I can't even do that really if I tried unless I hit the right bump and I kind of know it. So it's kind of scary to do it nowadays. Right. But another thing too is you got to be careful with your link suspension because it puts such a bind on your links. Yeah that you're going to wear out your bushing prematurely right. by putting all that stress on things. You can break an upper control arm. If you have like really shitty stock upper control arms, all that bind could possibly break an upper control arm or something, or just really wear out your bushings fast. So right. I don't advise just doing it all the time, but it's fun. Do it. <laughs> so I think that wraps up the, all the thing. So we talked about roll center, how the height, you know, changes things, how you can figure out where the roll center is. Um, we talked about roll axis angle and we just kind of brought that back into the situation with roll steer and why the roll axis angle does things. Oh, we kind of talked, I was kind of talking, I want to talk a little bit about the, why triangulation helps roll axis angle and something I found by playing with the four link calculator or the three link calculator was if your pin hard is below the axle center line, having the links the lowers triangulated actually causes a steeper roll axis angle. Whereas if the pan hard is above the axle center line and you triangulate it, it causes a lower roll axis angle. So I thought that was kind of a weird little thing that triangulation makes huh. a difference. And it's all because of the instant centers and stuff. No, like that, that totally but makes sense. Yeah. I saw that. I never, yeah. Cause you're, you're putting your instant center now in the back and you're changing the yeah. angle. Because your instant center, remember we talked about how you follow the links and wherever the links meet, that's your instant center. So if you change your triangulation, then the instant center is now either now on the back and it slopes depending on where your link suspension angles are. Usually I have it sloping up towards the frame, just a slightly slight bit on most off-road vehicles, at least. Uh, street vehicles are totally different, but this is a off-roading podcast. So... Yeah, so you're going to change it, and you're going to change that slope now and where the instant center is, so it just changes things. It's kind of cool. Something I'd never really thought about, but I figured it out when I was playing with the numbers recently, and I figured I'd share that. But usually, because most off-road vehicles have the pan hard and the roll center higher than the axle center line, having triangulation helps with the roll steer, and the reason for that is when, you're, when your vehicle is twisting, and you have, if say your, your links are parallel, right? Parallel with the frame. If you flex, eventually that link is going, as your tire pulls down and in, typically, um, that angle is now going to be pulled more and further in 
So it's going to change the angle of the link. It's not going to be parallel with the frame as you get more droop because it's going to swing the axle and the, you know, the tire right. down further. Where if you have it triangulated, so say you have it triangulated where the, like the points are the exact same point. Well, you can basically spin that axle as many times as you want because if it's on the same point, you know, it's that that pivot point is the same point on both sides. It's going to, you know, there's not, it's going to pivot and it's not going to cause any roll steer. So the further in you're going to have, the less roll steer you'll get. And it, to, to an extent, you're going to have too much, uh, too negative of a roll axis angle. You have to make sure you have a balance, but that's like the easiest way to describe it. As you go further in, as the axle swings down the arc, it stays a little bit closer to where it was. Oh, that area. totally makes sense. I hope that makes sense. Okay. Yeah, cool. essentially. That was, a picture. that was a hard thing for me to explain. Essentially, what? so I'll explain it back just so, because I think I have an idea what you're saying. Um, if your links are running parallel with the frame, as if you basically just hold your hands out in front of you like they're your tires, and it flexes, and those that uh, you're, like, if your right rear tire is drooping out, it's going to move towards the center line of the vehicle. If you're looking front to back, uh, if you take those links and like you're saying, triangulate them, the closer those links are going to going to get together, the less that uh, tire is going to have to swing inward towards the center line of the vehicle. Yep. So if anyone understands it, both of our ways of describing it, I think should figure yeah. it out. So. And again, it doesn't mean you want your links super, super triangulated. There's definitely a balance, and that's why you have to focus on your roll axis angle, because if you go too much one direction, you're going to have too much roll axis angle, and it's going to cause other problems and going to get squirrely. Yeah, so. Or it's going to be so stable, you're going to have so much understeer that you're going to just plow through every corner. Yeah, and that's, yeah, exactly. And suspension, like you said at the beginning, is one of those things, it's literally all compromises. You're never going to have a perfect suspension setup. <coughs> Uh, even if you have something mm -hmm. that works exactly how you want it to work, you're sacrificing something somewhere. That's just how it exactly. Is. Like my big thing that I sacrificed on mine was the anti squat. That was probably my biggest sacrifice was the anti squat. I wish I had a little bit lower anti squat, but my big thing is I wanted a low ride height and I wanted ground clearance. So I pushed those upper links an inch higher than what would be the most beneficial for the anti-squat side of things. But by pushing it a little bit higher, I was able to get a little bit better roll axis angle and get things dialed in there. So that was my compromise was the, so what I might end up doing is I might end up splitting it. If I ever change things down the line, I might drop the, the frame end links. Once I go bigger tires, uh, if I go 37s, I'm okay having a little bit less ground clearance at the frame because I'm going to more for the tire. So I might just drop that down maybe half an inch, an inch, and hope that brings my anti-squat down to closer to like 75. That's kind of my happy medium, I think would be a great option or great all around number. So so yeah, so things that we I want to make sure everyone uh, knows, especially if we get into a little bit further detail into the next podcast and we talk about this stuff again in more detail, no roll center. That's a really important one for a lot of people. That should be like the most basic thing that everyone should know. It's really easy to comprehend. You just got to go on Google, search it, find pictures on Google images. Um, actually, don't use Google because they track your information, your privacy. So use DuckDuckGo. I just figured this one out. And I, <laughs> I like it. Not as good of a search engine now. <laughs> Politics now. Um, roll axis angle is another good one because it affects the roll steer and roll steer sucks. 
So if you can eliminate that and have a decent roll axis angle, you're going to have an overall better driving vehicle. But roll center is going to be the most important one that I think you guys should know. Uh, roll axis, instant center. If you figure out roll center and how to find roll center, you're going to know what instant center is. It's super easy one to understand. Anti-squat. It's a little bit harder for some people to comprehend on how it works. Sometimes it's easy to figure out the math, but it's hard to understand the physics of it and comprehend how it works. I know that was probably the one that took me the longest yeah, to comprehend um, and overall. And then roll steer. Roll steer, it's pretty easy to understand, but to know how to counteract it and how it all each thing affects things. So those are the probably the five things that are probably the most important. And if anyone has other things that they think is super important, let us know. I'll include it on one of the next episodes that we talked about this. And stuff. we're so, a lot of... Uh, I hope we had a lot of good. And we're verbally obviously trying to explain stuff to you without any sort of like visual aid. And that can be super hard to learn stuff like this. So if this is something that you're really interested in or you want to keep tracking along as we go, you know, as we get further deeper in episodes, I highly suggest um, going on YouTube, watching some videos and then playing with the three link and the four link calculator. Um, It will just help you. Uh, you know, just plugging random numbers into the four link calculator. It has all the projected lines and everything on it. Um, so you can really have an idea of what the fuck we're talking about. Um, and I know this. Yep. That's probably the biggest educating thing is just playing with it, play with it, play with it, play with it, and then learn how these things work and what they do. And so go on YouTube, search the four link stuff from Busted Knuckle Films. Also, there's some really good stuff from Engineering Explained. And then also read on Crawlpedia. Those are probably the best spots you could find things easily. And then obviously Pirate 4x4 and Race Desert have a ton, a ton of good information. But they're also polluted with a bunch of stupid shit. So the other resources are going to be the better, more direct resources. But there's still a ton of stuff if you could sift through the bullshit on forums. Yeah, and this is obviously one of our more technical episodes. I mean, you had probably 55, 60 minutes of just explaining uh, terms about relinking in part. Yeah, about five topics about suspension geometry itself. Um, And this is more the direction we're going to go. Obviously, some of the stuff is going to be more fun to talk about than others. Um, so if you like this, if you wanted to explain mm-hmm. different ways and stuff like that, message us, let us know. Because ob- obviously this is probably one of the more tech loaded. Yeah, post on for- yeah, the, post on the IFS off road. FR locked thread. Yep. Yeah. And then uh, hit us up if you have any. That's probably the best place to put it. So that way we can actually react and talk and get other people talking about things. That's probably the best place yeah. is on the thread. Uh, and then we both will see. Yeah. Yep. And then we can also, you can also DM us and stuff like that. And I don't know where else, but yeah. Um, yeah, I think that sums up a pretty good episode. Yeah, I agree. I need to drink and the water now. One last thing. Have you, you've never wheeled Rubicon, right? Nope. No, a lot of my friends have, but not me. So we're going to have to stop this podcast because I was told or, you know, insinuated that since I've, never wheeled rubicon that i don't wheel Uh Uh, and i've never done moab either so if i haven't done rubicon or moab i don't know what the fuck i'm talking about see i have been to moab Uh, and i've wheeled a lot or not a lot a week's worth 
but I have not been to Rubicon. Yeah. yeah. And so it's clearly obvious if your vehicle never runs and you like have a vehicle, then you sell it and you buy a new vehicle. It's a piece of shit. You end up getting it rebuilt. It's kind of better. Mm-hmm. You wheel twice in three years and one of them is a Rubicon. Now you're a god at wheeling. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I've done doozy version. I've done hammer stuff. I've <laughs> done all kinds of stuff out here. But yeah, Rubicon. I guess yeah. I'm missing out. I basically wanted to start this podcast to talk subliminally, talk shit about people that talk shit to me. Um, so that's always fun. I'm just gonna keep doing that every fucking episode. Nice. So. Yeah, and just gonna show that Rubicon is not the holy grail of all wheeling. Um, you know, it's a great trail and there's some really cool shit on it. I've not been on it myself, but I know from all my buddies that have done it. It's an awesome trail, but it's not the end-all be-all trail and it doesn't prove shit because two of my favorite wheeling buddies, Matt and Andy, they did the Rubicon in their IFS vehicles on 35s in seven hours. They said, maybe next time we'll yeah. camp when they got back. <laughs> so... It's not. Exactly. I know there's more to the Rubicon than just doing it fast. There's all the sidelines. There's all the fun stuff. And they did some of the bypasses. They didn't do, I don't know if they did any of the bypasses per se, but they didn't do all the uh, bonus lines. They didn't do like soup bowl and big sluice and all that. Um, they skipped some of it. So they said next time they'll probably stick around and play and camp and stuff. But again, there's a lot of other cool trails. You don't have to do Rubicon. I want to do it though. No. Yep. So next week, we'll talk a little bit more about Steven's new GX470 and the Overland build that he is starting since he's selling his third gen. And uh, we're going to go that route. uh, I'm getting a rooftop tent, a water port, an awning, and 285, 75, or 677. 255. 255s. Honestly, I'd rather have those. I like the skinny wheels. Right. I wish they made like yeah, 11 and a half, 35s would be perfect. Actually, Nito makes them. I think it's Nito that makes them. I would rather have less performance out of my tire and have it be 12 inches wide. 12 and a half inches wide. Like you like big black just... tires. Yes. <laughs> I also, when you said earlier, um, uh, the, what the fuck is it called? God damn it. Uh, Pygorean theorem. Well, I thought you said uh, Phagorean theorem. Or fa- <laughs> I was like, what, what the fuck? fuck? <laughs> <laughs> let's uh, All right. let's just go ahead and end it because I actually am late to what I'm supposed to be going to. I have to go drink some more beer. All right. So. All right. We'll fucking end it right here. You can upload in your fucking drive and I'll leave you be. Alright. Cool beans. Good. All right. Good night, everyone.